Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold, and Conscious Construction starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Modern Good. I'm here with Josh Trent, who's the founder and CEO of Wellness Force. He's also somebody that I would call a colleague and a friend. Welcome. So excited to have you. Thank you, Busy. Thank you for letting me be here with you and share some space. Oh yeah, of course. Of all the people in the world that I would just willingly on a dime share space with you, you have... You've got one of those top spots for me, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And I do share with people all the time that, you know, there are so many great minds out in the world. And sometimes that great mind is paired with a life or a lifestyle that's incongruent with the mind. And I find, especially in the business setting of the people that have become very successful, that's more and more prevalent, which is one of the things that I have the most appreciation with for you because your intellect and the way that you problem solve is equally matched with a badass life that's congruent with exactly what you teach. So that's something that I always look for. And to me, that's what reads as an authentic expert. So to me, you're the man. Thank you. God, I, what I was feeling when you were saying that is like, do we have experiential learning to share rather than like downloading just certificates and quote PDFs and know-how? There's something to be said about like, have you gone through the storm? So you pull out the wisdom. There's something to be said about that. I couldn't agree more. And I actually think, and I think we touched on this in our episode, how important it is this moment of time that we find ourselves in that we do take the time and space to see what information we can bring through ourselves that is new. And, you know, everyone says there's nothing new under the sun. I actually don't really believe that. Number one, number two, it might be new to where we are. It might be a completely new perspective on something that is not technically new. And if we keep leaning into, I have to learn it from this certificate. I have to learn it from this program. I can't just self-generate we're likely going to keep replicating the same generational problem. So that's one of the things I love so much about Josh is that you really are an experiential learner and a teacher. And it's not like, well, I read it in this book, so now I'm going to teach it in a course, um, which I feel like, unfortunately, the industry is just kind of plagued with right now. Hmm. So I'm really excited that you walk the talk and that you really go deeply into the experience and you don't shy away from the adversity, you don't shy away from the storms. Because a lot of people like to kind of sit in their glass house and teach and they don't really want to, they don't want to go into the storms. Yeah, I feel that so much because um, my whole life since uh, March 2020 has been a storm, <laughs> just like so many people. Like it's been the ultimate storm with like new layer unfolding after new layer unfolding. And um, all of my shit has come up personally. Um, it's the best business year I've ever had. Like business-wise, it's the best. It's the most expansive. But in order for that expansion to have taken place, I've had to deal with a lot of uh, contraction and, and oh, yeah. a lot of inner turmoil, you know, both bringing a boy into the world and uh, birthing more of my business into the world and taking care of my own health. Like balancing this mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and even financial has been um, like running around with a water bucket and trying to keep all the other buckets full. Like that's what it feels like at times. I'm sure we all feel that at, at certain points. And I think a lot of people, and I think this might be a good checkpoint to listeners or viewers that are out there that think, 
oh, you know, like that person really made it or their business is growing. That must be so cool. Sure, there are parts of it that are really cool, but, you know, more money, more problems, like more growth, more problems, you know, lean on, lean on yeah. Biggie for the real advice. Yeah. The more things expand, the more holes you inevitably have to plug. Like you said, there's just like water leaking everywhere. Mm. And that's, it's the same thing with growing pains in our own life. Sometimes when we have the most expansion, we also have the most chaos and turmoil, right? We end up growing and realizing that we have potentially not grown aligned with the people next to us. And then we start to notice relationship friction and people, you know, potentially shedding off or expiring from our lives. The same happens in business. So when you found that rapid growth for your businesses last year, what are the things that you noticed the most that you had to either contract or pull back on or be more intentional about? Uh, my self-righteous anger. Ooh. Yeah. My self-righteous anger that somehow I know what's best for everyone and everything. Um, and uh, specifically with my partner, just a lot of like really challenging learning about letting people be who they are. Like we've all heard this phrase of unconditional love, but to actually embody unconditional love means there's no condition. We can cuss on your podcast, right? You can do whatever okay, you want. Okay, great. <laughs> there, there's just no fucking condition when it comes to unconditional love. And so I've had to really over the past 18 months be aware and monitor consciously what I'm saying versus how I'm being so that I can be in integrity. Otherwise I'm not in integrity and that leads to disease, which is unwellness or, or a lack of integration or a lack of alignment. Like uh, we're only as strong as our weakest link. So if my weakest link is, is that I'm not being in integrity versus what I say versus how I'm being, not just what I do either. That's a, that's a point I want to unpack. Like actions, yes, are louder than words, but the intention and the way that I'm embodying a lesson, I'm, I'm, I'm embodying wisdom is, is so much more important than even what I do. Because as you know, we can feel people's energy that, that really, like there's no words needed when you feel something. So if I'm embodying a certain lesson, you don't even have to have me explain it to you. You just feel it from me. We, we see this when we're in public and we see this when we see someone speak on a stage or I felt this with you when we did our podcast. It's like, okay, this is a person who's been through something and they have wisdom to share and I feel it from them regardless of how they articulate themselves. So over the past 18 months, I've really had to come to terms on a consistent basis with what is the alignment and, and what is the truth between what I'm saying and how I'm being. Also, yes, what I'm doing, but, but mostly how I'm being, what I'm embodied. And where did you feel like that self-righteous anger was showing its face the most in your life? Where did you actually have to take notice of it and do some work? Um, unconscious anger and, and also conscious anger now too, around what had occurred for me when I was younger, uh, specifically mm. around my father, a lot of like father wounding, a lot of processing that, that needed to be done and honestly still needs to be done, right? Because now I have a son, you know, he's, he's six weeks old and I'm seeing still how I'm sometimes a mirror of my father. And it's so fascinating because I think, quote, quote, that I've done a lot of work. And I, I would say that I have done a good amount of work and I'm in a good place to help and coach and guide and teach others. But also I'm like authentic and, and real that I'm not like some on the mountain. Like I, I don't have it all mastered yet. And so that's the, the, real, the real choke point for me has been being aware of when I hurt my partner with words 
or when I hurt myself with deleterious health behaviors, because it's really just a mirror of an unhealed wound from my father. And if you want to go even deeper, it's actually an unhealed wound from my entire male lineage that traces back to Sicily on my grandfather's side and traces back to the, um, the empirical uh, London and UK on my, on my other side, my mother's side and my father's side. So all of, we're, we're in a very interesting vortex right now where we're experiencing so much existential pain from COVID, from lockdowns, from forced vaccinations. We're all being triggered so much that, of course, my stuff and all of our stuff is coming up and it's coming up to be healed. As you and I know, a trigger is an it's invitation. A mm-hmm. it certainly it's the is. invitation for me to heal. It's not bypassing. I'm not here on your show saying like, oh, yes, a trigger is a place for you to heal. It's like, well, we know that. We it's, know step, that. it's like step one to go toward it, not run yes. away from it. Yes. So I would say that's the biggest thing that's come through. And, and um, how can I actually be? Without bullshit, without pretending, how can I actually be loving in moments where my ego feels like it doesn't want to be? So you brought up a ton of amazing stuff. One of the things that I want to touch on, because it's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast, I teach a lot about in break, which is specific to your situation. So you brought up that, you know, I've done all this work and still these things are coming up and now I have my own son and I need to start working on healing these things. So as we start to do a lot of the work, we might conceptually or intellectually understand what needs to be done. But sometimes until those situations are actually placed into your life, you don't get the chance to actually learn in the laboratory that is your life, right? So theoretically, you know how your father wound is going to pop up in your parenting and you know how you would, should, or could handle that in said scenario. But until you're looking your son in the eye, you don't have the ability to work through it in your physical energetic space. So that's one of the things that I think is important for all people that have been doing healing work. And this is something that I had to realize in my intimate relationship. I could teach about so many different things and teach about so many different things from experience, but especially in the work of break, there was always this point before Gordon and I got together where I could teach about what would likely happen as you're deepening your intimacy but I wasn't in a relationship to actually go through it myself. So I knew theoretically what would happen and what things I'd have to face and how I'd have to pivot and adapt and keep working to keep growing in the right direction. But when I was finally gifted with that relationship, that's when I was actually able to heal that. So I say this because so many people have mother wounds, father wounds, both, and they let this be something that blocks them from ever perceiving that they could be a parent themselves. Hmm. And I'm here to tell you, do the work to make sure that that's a decision from the right place, not out of fear. Because like you, once you're in that place, yeah, those things are going to come up. But now you have a unique opportunity so long as you're owning your space to work through it and break the generational trauma, to break that Mm. generational line. And and if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? You're just going to (sighs) stop procreating because you're still mad at mommy and daddy. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, whole, you go for it. I got a jam on you. I got a jam with you right now on you and with you because man, I just had this conversation with my lady, with Carrie last night, literally this exact thing. And it's no surprise we're talking about it because I was feeling, and I'll share, if we are chosen either by higher intelligence or by the intelligence in ourselves to be the one, not from arrogance, not from, um, how, how special we are or how we want to be acknowledged and seen for breaking the generational programs, 
but just because it's the right thing to do. Like that's the most important thing, whether it's from myself or my connection to God or higher intelligence in some way. So that's number one is, is being aware of that being there. And then number two, accepting that along the path of now essentially healing your grandmother's, grandfather's, great-great-grandmother's, great-great-grandfather's sins or unprocessed emotions that they passed on both epigenetically and behaviorally to you, that there's going to be a price to be paid. And we have to be at peace. I'm not saying we have to enjoy it. I'm not saying there's not going to be suffering. I'm not (laughs) saying that there's not going to be challenges that'll knock you on your ass. But there has to be a, a point in our psyche where we just, we just like love that we're here and we get to do it. Like it's I'm, a, I'm kind it of is, feeling it's, emotional it's just sharing gift. this with you. It's, it's a, a gift. It's, it's a like, real gift. It's like, we're here. Like, what else are we going to do? Are we just going to pretend like they did? It's not, it's not. And also this is the last thing I want to share. It's not about doing it in spite of our parents. Like, well, I didn't get love, so I'll show them. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong motivational source. I'm talking about true inspiration. That's like gratitude for even the opportunity to heal it. That's the kind of fuel that, that I pull from, that we need to pull from. And piggybacking on what you just said, it's also a chance. And, you know, I'm about to have my fourth child. So I've kind of been whoa, whoa. in it for a, what, what? I'm going to have two babies wow. in one year. That's a whole other thing. Wow. But coming from somebody that had a lot of trauma specifically with my mom, but also with my dad, but I would say my mom's was more visceral. My dad's was more kind of subconscious and pervasive with my emotional experience. My mom's was very in my face. Mm. Often you get a chance to actually build empathy when you become a parent, because you realize, right. You might go into it that like, I'll show her, this isn't that hard. I can do it differently than she did it. Right. That kind of attitude. Like I'm going to do this, like you said, in spite of you. But inevitably, you find yourself in situations where you're like, holy shit, this is hard. Like, technically, I know better and I'm going to do better, but I can totally see where my mom fell in this trap or in this trap or in this trap, right? So when you're in it, it's often a a place in time where you get to experience empathy and not make excuses or justifications for why your parent did something terrible or why they did something that caused you a ripple effect of harm. Yeah. But at least a moment in time of understanding and empathy where it's like, I get it. Still wasn't cool. I'm still going to have to do the work to unwind it, but I get it. And sometimes you can't get something until you're in it. So that's beautiful. I've been feeling that too. You know, when I feel that the most is when I walk my son around the house when he's crying, like we change his diaper, we feed him, we, we coddle him. We make sure all the, all the check marks are checked. For all the parents out there, you know, like there's a checklist, okay? Oh, yeah. And and so really what calms him down the most is I'll hold him and I'll walk him around the house because he likes that swaying motion. And I'll tell you what, like the level of awareness and compassion that you're speaking to that has come through where I'm literally going back in a quantum timeline and connecting to probably when my mom and my dad did the exact same thing with me and then also their parents did that with them. And I'm wondering, huh, what is the deciding factor that allows people to truly heal. I was thinking about that last night. Like, what is it? Like, what's the secret? What's the ingredients? Like, what is the thing that makes people really heal? And I think it's forgiveness. 100%. And and I think that actually is the secret ingredient is, is to embody forgiveness. I'm not talking like just intellectual, but like 
really embody forgiveness. And that means you're going to cry. There might be snot bubbles. You're going to have to feel so vulnerable that you maybe go back to the well with a parent or with a, or with a relative that's hurt you so many times. And there's so much ammunition that your ego has, has stalked away, just ready to fire at them because you know exactly how they're going to be. And you're broadcasting that out and they feel it from you subconsciously before you even talk to them. That's the kind of shit that I'm talking about. Like, that's what makes people truly heal. And I'm, I'm, I'm like currently in it with my father. I mean, the, our birth story wasn't exactly what we planned for. It was challenging and, and he wasn't there. He wasn't supportive. And I thought to myself, Hmm, like I feel the trigger. I feel my young man inside hurt. And my adult in me is also like so deeply sad for how he can miss such a beautiful opportunity to love. So they're both there in real time. Oh, yeah. And those, I'm sure, will be unique opportunities to get to work through with that person. And ultimately, and I'm sure you see this, but often and almost always, the way we see it is not the way they're perceiving it. So on on his side, you know, for all you know, he feels like he's actually saving you the stress or the drama of being there, or it's too hard for him and his brain is prioritizing a million other things. So, you know, it's just always a good checkpoint to say, as I'm experiencing this, most likely, like if I were playing bet nods in Vegas, that is not their approach or that is not their perception of it. And, you know, one of the biggest lessons to learn in this life that will affect communication in a positive trajectory moving forward is that it's not about my way's right or your way's wrong or my perspective's right and your perspective's wrong. If we can just try to step outside of ourselves and do a little, like I like to look at it, like project it up into the quantum classroom, mm. knowing what I know and an educated guess about this person, what are the ways that they might actually be seeing this so that I can try to communicate to them at that place? Because to me, it's like casting out a fishing rod being like, I, I know where you're at. I know where you're at. You do it. And then you try to bring them back in. That's usually what's required to heal. But if it's just like, I'm over here and you're over here and that makes me mad or what you did makes you mad. That's such a wide gap to try to bridge. Yeah. And, um, wow. I'm just, I'm feeling like I'm getting a, a beautiful teaching point from our conversation that in my own life, because how many times have I wanted so badly and forget about even just the father when just people in general for someone to see my point of view mm-hmm. when really, and I've heard this from many teachers before. It's like, how can I see the world through their eyes just for like a couple breaths? And that's key because if we're, if we're holding our breath and we're all sympathetic with our nervous system, it's almost, it's not totally impossible, but it's almost impossible to see something from someone else's eyes if I'm holding my breath. It, it's almost impossible on a physiological level. It's like, it's like gravity. It's like trying to fight gravity or something. Like if I'm holding my breath, I'm not going to be able to have compassion or introspection as to how someone else is seeing the world. So I'm feeling all of that with what you just shared. And I, I also think it's really, really important for there to be like a genuine, authentic, daily, weekly, definitely at least weekly inventory of what's real. Like, how am I really feeling? What's really causing me the most pain? How can I get down to the bottom of what's the source of it? And then how can I do my work to release it? That's pretty big too. So they're, they're both Huge. like the, the inventory is great. And it's, and I'm sure you talk about it in break and, and God, I talk about this so much, the emotional inventory. 
Um, because whatever is in the stock is in the stock. Whatever is in your pantry is in the pantry. It's like, it's not going to go away. It's there. So you like flick on the light and take an honest look and take a breath, you know, when you, when you take that look, because, um, my pantry is totally different than someone else's pantry that's causing me or what I think is causing me pain. You bring up, I love the visual that you just brought up because I feel like this is pertinent to so many people that I know in break people that listen to the podcast. We've all had that experience when we look in the pantry, right? And like, maybe we have like 95% healthy food. It's all organized correctly, but we all know that somewhere back there is like the bag of marshmallows that's probably been there too long, right? There's always something (laughs) that's in there where it's like, I shouldn't have gotten this or I should just throw it away, but you don't, you just kind of leave it there so that in the case that you want to grab it or you want to eat it, it's there. Right. So we're all kind of best served. And I use the food analogy because it's a great visual and you just brought it up. Not because I'm trying to shame anyone for what you do or don't eat. I don't really care about that. Um, I personally believe that fuel food is fuel and that I need to be mindful of what goes in my mouth because it's going to affect my body as a whole. So personally, like while I love marshmallows, that's not the thing that I personally would reach for, but yes, no shame in your game. So in this analogy, it's really, we know that some of those things are in there and we're like, mm, I don't really want to deal with it. I don't really want to process it. I'm just going to move it over to the side because I've got all these great things. And that's something where I find in today's society, when it comes to like affirmations or journaling or doing things, trying to build yourself up, sometimes we focus so much on trying to highlight or elevate that which we have that's positive and that's great. We do that at the expense of still kind of pushing away and pretending like these other things don't exist. So it's like, let's just keep bolstering all these things because if I keep telling myself that these things are great, then they're going to take over. But the truth is these other things, they're not just going to disappear. A little elf's not going to go into your pantry and just like grab them and be like, you're good. I got rid of them for you. (laughs) There has to be a moment that you're like, that needs to go away while I'm building all of this up. Yeah. Cause doesn't it just come down to truth? And I know that's like, it's like a duh. It's like, well, of course it does. But like really letting truth settle in like this water, this is coming. So if water is cloudy, it's really hard to see the bottom. And that's what we do. And I find that sometimes when I'm not being mindful, I watch myself trying to see the truth through cloudy ass water. So there's no way that we're going to be able to see our pantry, see through our water, whatever analogy you want to use. If we're constantly doing and like running to this appointment, knocking out this work thing, blah, 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 blah. You guys all know what it feels like. I mean, we, we go through phases of this, right? So it, unless we have some kind of anchor, some kind of neurological, spiritual, emotional set point to bring us back home, like the breath, then it's, it's almost, again, it's almost impossible to see the truth or to see the world from someone else's eyes if I'm looking through a lens that's clouded or if I'm in a body that's not breathing or if I'm in a conversation where I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can share my stuff instead of it being a, a reciprocal, you know, awesome connection like this. Um, and there's a core differentiation through, through over time. I think we just, we just notice what's real, what's not. And also having some compassion for us not being perfect with the damn thing, you know, otherwise the shame spiral kicks in. So Yeah. Shame. I always tell people to me, shame is the most useless emotion in the entire emotional spectrum. It's energy just immediately sends you 
mm. right down the drain. It's just not, there's no, there's no productive nature of it. But you it's can. So, it's so alluring, isn't it? For some reason. It's oh, like, well, she, well, people, people get so very, addictive. people get very addicted to it. Yes. And that's why, even if you look at kind of, you know, sexual fantasy, shame is usually such a prevalent part of sexual fantasy as well. It is highly addictive to the body. Yeah. It's in a part of the brain that once activated, it's a big challenge to try to unwind that. Hmm. So, and I mean, think about how often, so in break, we talk about how when the child comes into the world, it's essentially an uncarved block of wood, right? It's like the closest thing to having come directly from source, God, creator, whatever it is that you want to say. So it's kind of in its like divine essence, but it's it's got like a pure soft wood block sort of thing. As it lives life, there's constantly things taking chips out of it. And it doesn't take much for it to perceive adversity. And for a child that thinks that everything is just innocent and it gets to be curious and go explore, think about how many times we get shamed for something that we don't even know we're doing. Don't do that. Don't spill that. Don't do that that way. And you're like, shame, shame, shame. I don't even know what's happening. Mm. Right. And those things all take little carvings off this block of wood. And inevitably, it that is who we are. We are this, you know, imperfect sculpture that's been chipped away at often by something like a shame stimulus because our parents don't often didn't know another way to communicate that. And what you're saying is so beautiful. And I was almost visualizing, you know, when you have a scar on your skin and you like roll and mm-hmm. you massage it and you need it and you the only way that we can increase our sensitivity after trauma is if we go in and we massage and love and give attention to the scar. Like that's the only way because otherwise the nerve endings on the skin, they literally lose sensitivity if they don't get blood flow. Like, so we can make the physiological comparison to the emotional aspect you're describing. It's all the same thing. Because whether you love Einstein or not, like truly everything is connected, right? Mental, emotional, physical, uh, physical spiritual. And I, and I would even have to say it's financial too. I think that's a big part oh, of the yeah. world. You know, the financial, we, we signed up for this busy. We signed up for this world. We signed up to be here. You've had a lot of business success. A lot of people- I, I believe are, that. Are, are really like their nervous system is so taxed. And for, for so many years, God, honestly, I would even say before COVID- like when COVID happened, it fucking catapulted me into getting rid of as many things that didn't serve me as possible. And I feel like the rest of my life and all of our lives will be that way because I think I think time is essentially speeding up. I don't know how you feel about that, but but oh, I get that I energy. I, I get that feeling. I'm like, okay, well, whatever's not serving, it actually has to go. Otherwise, I'm going to leave the world too early. And I have so much to do. I don't want to leave the world too early. So um, I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think the analogy I was trying to make was... If, if we don't tend to the scars, if we don't have the intelligence and the tools to actually tend to the scars, both physically or emotionally, then we lose sensitivity. We lose the ability, the capacity to love each other, to connect with one another. And so that's why people, it's funny, I don't know if you know people like this, like some people can't get massages. Oh like yeah. They, they're so Tons. weird about their body that like mm-hmm. they, they don't even- my mom, my mom is one of them. Okay, well tell me that there's not so many layers of scars that is, that is so desensitized. It's not about shaming her. It's about loving, having compassion oh, yeah. for someone in that position. Can you imagine not being able to be touched? I mean, that just like drops my throat just to even think about that. But this is the world we're living in. We're, we're either massaging and tending to the scars or we're letting the scars fester and losing our sensitivity to each other. That's so true. And that's something that 
I think the more we were already separated, I think in a lot of spiritual and energetic ways. And now with us being physically separated, that it should be more and more and more prioritized because physical touch is a key component of, of humanity. And without it, what do we become? I feel like that's a whole separate podcast. (laughs) A conditioned bundle of nerves (laughs) that aren't satiated. You know, right, that's addicted to social media and just if, wants everything connected. If to you'll technology. allow me, I'd love to comment on that. Go I don't for want it. To mess oh. with your flow, but like honestly, no, go for it. Bringing up something really big for me there. <sighs> Notice, I just took a breath. Whenever I, whenever I breathe in through my nose and I exhale through my mouth, I always feel like I'm more clear. And really, what I can sense right now from my own pain and my own understanding of the quantum and the collective is that the reason we are all being forced to go through this threshold together, which is COVID and lockdowns and forced mask wearing and social media and just like the, the craziness, the absolute insanity of, of our society is because I believe it's God, I believe it's chaos trying to find order. And so we're in that part of like, you know, when a, when a building gets knocked down, you have to clean it up before you rebuild the building. And I think we're all just kind of making sense of the rubble right now. And unfortunately, I also want to share, not in a dark way, but I think there's more destruction coming. I think there's more rubble on the way. Oh, yeah. And so we really have to, like, fortify ourselves with the right tools, the right friendships, the right connections, the right conversations. Otherwise, we're fucked. And and I really mean that. Not from a – I'm not trying to scare anyone. That's not my intention. But, like – I'm with you. But, like, really prepare yourself – for what's coming because your soul and our collective needs you to be lovingly responsible for your damn life, myself included. So a couple things to, to piggyback on top of that, because that was some serious hard hitting truth and I couldn't agree more. I think no matter what your perspective is on what is transpiring in the world right now, that oncoming rubble might be more and more and more division, more and more and more fear, uh, more of your friends or family members finding themselves on opposite sides of whatever perceived line you're yeah. experiencing, you know? Yeah. We're not here to, I, I know that Josh and I tend to be on the same page about a lot of our perspectives of what's happening, but I do work with a lot of people that I know believe very opposite of me. And for you, that oncoming rubble might be that I don't see this getting better anytime soon, right? The the division is getting more and more. Yeah. My sister who had twins about a month before I did, we planned this awesome trip to see each other. I was so excited to introduce Harley to her kids. And it's like a day before and she goes, um, I totally forgot you weren't vaccinated. We can't see you. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we planned this whole trip. I was like, I just spent two grand. Fuck? You know me. <laughs> like, you didn't forget what's happening here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example. And it's not to, you know, judge or say anything about the situation other than, like, that's what we're dealing with right now. Or, like, sisters and family connections and friendships that are being divided over over many things like that's just one issue so that doesn't seem to be having any sort of slowdown anytime soon and being able to navigate those moments as you've been saying like walking the top being in integrity you can completely disagree with somebody and even while they're sitting there berating you calling you names you can still 
have compassion and love for them and, and not fight back. Like it's so tempting. And I used to be like this where you just, you want to be using facts as your weapons. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not the way this battle is going to be won. If you want to look at it as a battle. And I think you're right. Like we're on a battlefield right now and, you know, sitting there having an argument with somebody or getting in a social media fight, like, is that ultimately going to change anything at all? No, you got to worry about your eyebrows, whatever your beliefs are really like make that super strong and upheld in your family and have those conversations, open up the conversations, but to sit there and be like, my way is the only way. And to just keep trying to get in these fights. I feel like if you're still in that sort of space, the next few years might be really tumultuous for you. I'll share two weeks ago. Uh, someone in, in the family, extended family, not like super close, they posted a huge question on Facebook and I just happened to see it. And, and she said, why aren't you getting vaccinated? Like a big question mark. And I just said, because I'm rationally using my brain, that was my response. And it led to exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> this, this, and then, it, and, and somehow if you look through the thread, it started to intensify and intensify. But there was one person that jumped on who, who wanted to be in, in this group think mentality. And I don't personally, like, I'm not here to say what people should or should not do when it comes to a vaccine or honestly, when it comes to anything. Yep. (laughs) I'm here to share my experience and my lessons. And if something resonates, good. And if it doesn't, leave it. So what I'm about to share is the same thing. So there was someone that jumped on and she's like, well, I'm a registered nurse and I see people dropping like flies. And I said, well, look, are you sure about this? Because I also have 20 different RNs who are in the wellness force community that are sharing they're leaving their jobs because they're sick of the tyrannical control. So we can, my point is we can find like truth on either side, no matter how far we dig in the, in the digital ocean, which is Google. Right. And, and I felt that I felt that allure, that sticky kind of syrupy, um, tentacle, in, in the text and in the conversations with her where I started to notice that I was triggered. I was aware that I was triggered. And I started to be like, well, here's this test on PubMed or here's, here's this clinical trial in PubMed where the PCR founder, the, the person who made the PCR test is actually on record saying that the PCR test has been not designed for COVID. It's not an effective test. And then, and then just recently, a couple of weeks ago, the CDC actually said, hey, sorry about that. We're actually not using the PCR test Remember all that data that we created? Well, all that data was created from a PCR test that we're not actually going to be using anymore because we know from our experience that it's not efficacious to being accurate. And I thought, okay, I posted all this information to her. Like you were saying, I used all the right. (laughs) I want it to be right. I want it to be self-righteous. And it's like all it did was just leave me hungry for, for more connection. And I don't, I don't need to have that kind of connection because it's the same question you asked me in the beginning. I just wanted to share how I thought something was right and how someone should believe what I believe. And so we all have to be really cautious of that because um, it's going to increase and it's in the intensity of the war of separation and the war of division is going to continue to increase. So I, as a, as a creator and as someone who holds conversations like you, like we all have to be really cautious of how much we indulge in that kind of like hook you know that really and it's, it really hook. it's a total hook it's a hook and there's so many ways that, I guess my my kind of general rule of thumb is if somebody genuinely asks for my feedback or opinion or asks me for information mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. happy to share 
But I've just hit a point in my life. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of you know that I, after I had my daughter, I completely got off of Instagram, which is still the best decision I've ever made. No regrets there. Um, <laughs> I had to hit a point in my life where at a certain point, sharing information, unless somebody is asking for it, is just another way to kind of like create more storms. And I've just, you know, it, it can be a tough place to be in where it's like you want to ha- like yell from the rooftops and feel like you're trying to save everybody. But yeah, also to a degree, like that's kind of playing God. Like what if they don't want to be saved? What if they don't see it that way? What if they want to just, you know, like there, there's so many things that I think that comes with time and maturity. And I've been attacked so many times. Like I honestly, I am cancel proof. I can say that they have tried to cancel me so many times. Um, but having been through all that, like I don't, there's no part of me that wants to participate in like doling any of that back now. So um, I think people know enough about me and where I stand and things that I've shared in the past to know kind of like generally how I feel about things. But kind of just hit a place in my life where you know, honestly, even in my business with break, I have so many people in there. We're doing a challenge right now that like, couldn't be more opposite in the way I look at the world in there. And we are able to work together, create so much beauty, so much healing and like that stuff. It matters because our physical world is changing so rapidly that it's scary as shit. And if we don't do some things to wake up, we might find ourselves in a very scary situation that we might not be able to get out of. So that's kind of my, my big fear. But outside of that, there's so much love and compassion and learning and healing that can still take place, even if you find that you're in a completely different perspective on the world than someone else. And I think because I've kind of like let so much of that go, so many more of those people have come to me to work with me. And it's been kind of a beautiful thing. Hmm. There's something really alluring about being in a fight together because like shared suffering, oh, totally. it, it yields connection. So I get it. And like, I, I'm, I'm very aware of that aspect too. I went on a vision quest recently and on the vision quest, the reason I did it, it was my 41st birthday. I wanted to clear my nervous system and my psyche of as much possible projection that, that I could so I could save my son from it. Mm-hmm. And that's why his middle name is Mauro because... That was my grandfather's name, my, my Italian grandfather. And I thought about like, what, I, what do I want to do with this middle name? And like, what do I want it to be? And I was like, oh, let me every time I say his name, have it be a reminder that I am always committed to doing my work so that I'm not projecting onto him. Mm-hmm. Because beautiful. my grandfather did the best he could, but he wasn't perfect, much like you and I won't be either. But damn, at least we're having the conversation. You know, and at least it's something that's in the field, that's in the consciousness, that's in that's in the dialogue. And so um, anyways, on this vision quest, I was laying there and I don't know if you know about vision questing. Have you ever done one or heard about them? Oh, yeah. Very okay, familiar. So, okay. So 100 hours, a, a lot of pre-work, a lot of a lot of uh, emotional intelligence, a lot of inventory. You go out there and I was in I was in North Idaho. I find my spot. What part of North? What part of North Idaho? Um, it's a, in Sandpoint. Okay. That's where we're moving. Oh, well, there you go. It's a beautiful country. It's beautiful up there. Do you know, quick note that Sandpoint, I don't know if they shared this with you, but 
all of the Native American tribes in that whole kind of like basically just half the country, yeah. whenever they had people that were sick or wounded and they couldn't fix them, no matter what tribe they're from, even if they were warring tribes, they would bring their sick to Sandpoint to be healed. That was like their true stone because there was some sort of healing energy there. Wow. Yeah. Well, what I'm about to share is won't be that shocking then, or maybe it will. Um, I was laying on my back and it was like the second night. It's a hundred hours fasting. So literally just water. That's it. No food, no flashlight, no knife, no protection, no tent. All you get is a tarp, a sleeping mat, water, and a sleeping bag. That's it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, let alone like my irrational or rational fears of wild animals coming to kill me. Uh, I was like laying out there and there's so much medicine in the wisdom of Mother Earth that I think for a long time I was trying to incessantly find in plant medicine. I was going to ayahuasca ceremonies. I was doing these things, got my ass kicked. And then really what came up for me there was I was laying on my back and I was just asking God, like, what, what do you want me to do with wellness force? Like, what do you want me to do with my life? Like, why am I feeling all of this pain? What's going on? And um, I just heard this voice and the voice said, just keep going. And that was it. And I mean, it makes me want to, like, I can just feel it right now because sometimes that's all we get. Like, that's all we really get is just to keep going and to keep learning. And, and yeah, it's going to be challenging. And yes, it's going to be emotional and there's going to be lots of pain. But like the way that I was able to access that kind of wisdom on a, on a visceral cellular level where I wasn't hallucinating, I wasn't taking psychedelics, I was just breathing and drinking water in nature with no food. That was it. I was just purified in that way. And so for all of us, like, man, that's so important for us to just keep going. <laughs> like, just keep going towards whatever it is that's going to make you feel that peace, that calmness, that relaxedness, because that's where creativity and expansion come from. And for so long in my business, I, I had been like, trying to like strive. It's so funny. My business is named wellness force, like force. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, the only way you can really have power is, is to be in the flow. And so to tap into a force temporarily is good. And I think why I'm sharing this with you is because damn, I feel like we're all, we're all really tired at times now. And we're all feeling energetically drained and, and doing what you and I do or doing what any of us do, or we have a dream. It can be so taxing. It can be so challenging to the nervous system that there's many moments where I've just been like, well, fuck this, I don't wanna do it anymore. Really, I just wanna quit, I just wanna burn this thing to the ground and go do something, quote, safer. That's, oh, that's been, been there. <laughs> but I know, not just because of the wisdom that I got from Mother Earth and like really tuning in to what, what she was saying and what God was saying, which is all the same thing. Um, and that is like to keep going and to actually slow down and to actually have more spaciousness in my calendar and spaciousness in my life than ever before. That's, I think, what we all need to do right now. And it's so counterintuitive because I'm not telling people to go quit their jobs. I'm not saying to people that stop paying your bills. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is find through intelligent inventory where you can create more spaciousness in your life because that's actually where all the medicine is. That's actually where all the creative juices are gonna flow. But it's so counterintuitive because the limbic system needs novelty, just like the amygdala gets fed and activated through fear. So if we're in a state of fear and we're constantly being fed by the news media and by our phones and everything else, 
again, it's almost impossible on a physiological level for us to create and be calm and even think about being spacious because we've been fucking hijacked by a cell phone or by our neighbor's story or by a narrative of fear. And so I don't really 100% know exactly why I'm sharing that with you. It just felt good to share. And I think we all can just keep going and keep going from a place of more spaciousness instead of just trying to fight it and white knuckle it and keep going. So I think this is what came to me when you were talking. So when you said that this, you know, we're all sitting here waiting, what were the words of wisdom? And it's like, just keep going, you know? <laughs> um, if anyone puts themselves in your shoes, right? You're, you're, let's say you're waiting for God to deliver some sort of like nicely packaged yeah. tidbit where you're like, yes, I came with all this enlightenment. And then you get, just keep going. The human <laughs> brain, right? It makes you want to be like, I'm sorry. I, can you say it again? Is that, yeah. did I hear that right? The human brain wants endpoints, right? We want to know this is like this finish line or that finish line or that. Fin and we constantly yeah. are programmed to look for these like points of finality when that's not really, I mean, we only die one time in this life, at least. I don't know what your beliefs are in other ways, but like, I'm only going to die as busy gold one time. That's really the only finality point that exists in my life as busy gold. But we're constantly seeking solace or calm and like, oh, well, at least when I get to there, then I can relax. Then I can relax. Then I'll be successful. Then I'll know that I can have kids, right? If I make X amount of dollars, yeah. I can have kids with my partner. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you want to add something in? Go for it. No, I was just <laughs> – I was thinking – I was literally in real time. I was like my, my magic number was like when I make $27,000 a month – my life will fucking change. Right? Where we do these and, things to ourselves that are so irrational. It happened. And I was like, okay, I'm happy that it happened. And then it happened for a while. And I was like, but it didn't actually change a thing. <laughs> like, I don't like, feel any like better it, at it all. It gave me more resources <coughs> to be able to like pay staff and create good content and do all these great things. But like as my overhead rose, so did my level of um, creativity. And so mm -hmm. did my, my, my lines of bottom line and profit like shortened actually, because when the new energy came in of money, all I wanted to do was like more. So it, we, we all have to be cautious of this, like, um, really like, I don't know exactly how we, we would describe it, but it's this, it's this little egoic whisper that says, well, if you just had enough money like those rich people, or if you just had a favor like, like so-and-so down the street, this like comparison um, monster, it's a fucking monster that lives it's a, inside it's of a all of us. It's a total monster. And it takes you no monster. matter what out of presence because absolutely, it's only there and it's built to get you constantly referring to a future point back to the present future point back to present because right? you're constantly measuring okay what do I have to do to get from here to there which is inherently taking you out of being present so just keep going you know in its irony is really God being like be present like mm -hmm. that there's nothing for me to tell you there's nothing magical that I'm like you know you're gonna get here or in 70 days, X, Y, Z is going to happen, right? right? And that's like always what we're looking for with answers when the reality is if we can just put all of the work and energy into healing our brain so that we're not constantly living in the past or projecting out in the future to measure where we are, life is going to get a whole lot better no matter what's going on in your life. You could be living in poverty. You could be living the richest life in the world. 
it, any person, if they're constantly spending 99% of their life in future or past, their lives are going to be in shambles to some varying degree internally, no matter what it looks like on the outside. Something I've been feeling lately too is when I compare myself to somebody that makes $75,000 a month and I allow myself to get upset or angry at that, really what I'm doing is I'm sabotaging the quality of my life in the current moment so that my ego can be upset and honestly feel that rush of like <gasps> the roller coaster of adrenaline and epinephrine and all these, these catecholamines, like that's really what's going on. And so I, I, know, I know that you probably talk about this and I know that um, Dispenza does a lot of deep work on people becoming literally wired and addicted to stress. But man, if, if right now isn't a, a lens for all of us to look at that clearly through, I don't know what other time it would be. We're the most triggered, most stressed, most um, compressed, most sympathetically driven in our nervous system that we've ever been. So we absolutely have to have tools. <laughs> if we don't use our tools right now, somebody else is going to bury us. Somebody else is going to use a shovel of resentment, anger, fear, and comparison to bury us in the ground. So we have to use our tools so that we're not being buried. One of the things that you brought up that's interesting, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about it in these terms, and it's not every single type, but some brain types will use comparison and anger. So some people have, in my work, anger as a protective emotion. And if you're using comparison to fuel up anger so that you can actually rev yourself up and step into that competitive nature and push yourself more. Yeah. That's very different than somebody that uses comparison as a way to go into anxiety and actually like push themselves down or isolate. So if you're mm. listening to this and, and you kind of vibe with what he's saying, think about it for a second. Do you let that comparison and anger fuel you to push harder and be competitive? Or do you let that comparison turn to anxiety and then you start to think about all the ways that you're not enough and you actually back down on the things that you want in your life. One's a rejection origin type. The other is an abandonment origin type. So just think about that for a second because that's kind of the, it's one of my favorite things about studying human brain patterns and having mapped them for so many years. There are little things like that where it's like once I know that bit of information, I can pretty much tell you what 10 other things you likely do as well because even though we want to believe we're incredibly unique and in some ways we are, brain patterns are not. You know, we could all have experienced different types of variables, but if the variables interacted with our brain science experiment relatively the same way, the patterns are pretty easy to map. So those can just be interesting checkpoints because then the question that you would ask yourself is, am I only looking or thinking about this person because really I need to get to work on my own life right now? So I'm not going to look at this but I am going to work on building the skills to actually like go harder into my own work. That would be the abandonment question. Or if you're the rejection person where you're going to let that make you isolate, you again have to take the steps to not let yourself shut down, isolate, or walk away from your dreams or let somebody seem like they're so far ahead that you could never catch up with them. So I have so many questions for you that have to do with fatherhood. So I'm going to jump in and like <laughs> hammer some of these out because I know that yeah. This is something that I know my audience is, we've been exploring these concepts for a long time and this just keeps coming up. And 
I think we talked quite a bit about how we've got this moment in time where the very social fabric is very divisive. I think we both agree that there's a lot of hijacking. There's a lot of social priming happening where we're trying to at least collectively be manipulated into changing things or doing things in a way that might not be in the best interest of humanity. So I want to explore some of those things from your perspective, because I really value your perspective. So question number one is, if you look at how you have looked at the term father or the experience of fatherhood throughout your life, how has that changed since you actually realized that you were going to have your own son? Well, when I first thought of what it would be to be a father, I thought it was going to be this like strong, silent, stoic type that could just like hold the anchor and kind of like a raw energy because that's how my father ruled his space. And that's how I saw my grandfather rule his space. And that's how I saw so many men in my lineage rule their space. Instead of it being a complementary balancing of masculine feminine, mm-hmm. it was more just like a dogmatic, like do what the fuck I say and, and we'll all be safe. And so that was pretty big where I knew that I was going to be different. But I mean, my son has just cracked my heart wide open because when he cries or when he needs something or when I need to stop my work and luckily I'm, you know, I have a career where I can work from my home studio here. So it's wonderful. But I would say the biggest change for me was I already knew that I was going to have to crack my heart open and, and blend my masculine feminine together. But I had no, absolutely no idea like how much I would have to consistently lean into my nurturer, into my softness, into my patience, into my understanding, all of these emotions that for most men, like if, so if a man identifies himself and masculine and feminine flows between men and women, right? I'm not saying that it has to be exclusive, but I would just say blanket statement, generalization. Most men that are in my friend group or just that I know, they identify as like a masculine man. Like that's their, that's their pole. They of course flow back and forth, but I had no freaking idea <laughs> that, that I would have to tune so much far beyond anything I ever thought into my, my nurturer, my, um, my, my flow state, my, um, my softness. That's the word that keeps coming up for you here is my softness as a man, because, and also I'll stack on top of that, the, um, capacity and the awareness for me to transfer quickly between the two, right? Because if I want to use an energy of completion and it's like, okay, well, what's the point? Close the deal make the business happen. I really tune into my, I guess you could say my default for me. My default is kind of like a completion. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to get it done? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's my completion. That doesn't work with parenting. That doesn't work with a baby. That doesn't work with a woman who's recovering in postpartum. It doesn't fucking work. So I've really had to understand and and garner the new skills and awareness of, all right, well, in this moment when my nervous system is telling me to seek completion, what can I do that allows me to, to turn into it being, well, I'll hold the space for whatever it needs. And I'll tell you what, it's been exactly my breath training. Because if I don't, then I can't choose. Like literally, if, I, if I'm not breathing, I'm not choosing. So that's been a really big one. 
Amazing. And I actually have that quote in my notes of things that I'm going to bring up. So I'm glad you brought it up because to me, when I read that quote on your breathwork.io website, I was like, yes, that's, that's an important one because the breath brings you back to presence. And if we're not in presence, we can't actually make a choice, a conscious choice. We're, we're reacting subconsciously, but we're not actually making a choice. And a lot of times people think that what's coming out of their mouth is a choice, but it's not a choice. It's patterned, right? And we want to, you have to be able to give yourself that pause to select what do I actually want based in this exact present moment? Nothing else from the past, no fear of the future. What do I want right now? And most people can't, can't they can't create that space, but you the rest was, can. You know what I was feeling when you were sharing? This is a keyboard that I'm holding up. We know that when I push a T on a keyboard, we know that on the screen it's going to show a T. We are no different. (laughs) Like we are so grooved in our patterns as human beings that we know exactly what we're going to say the moment we feel the trigger. The only thing that can come between that is our work for the trigger to be an invitation. So it actually, when I push the T, something else shows up. Instead of me just like reacting to what life is throwing at me. I mean, this parenthood journey holy shit that's all that's all i can really say is holy shit like and dude like, you're yeah. only you're only six weeks in only it's six gonna weeks it's gonna get yeah so wild <laughs> the amount of awareness that i've had to have on my own keyboard is like two to maybe four x when she was just pregnant so that's real too that's in the space as well oh yeah so in that vein i think the media does a lot to, I think, portray fatherhood as something that is, let's say, stressful and going to rip your marriage apart and, you know, something that's going to at times like push into your levels of masculinity and try to make you emasculate yourself. Right? These are kind of like all the, the stereotypes that I feel like I see. So for somebody that is not yet a father or is struggling with trying to find that balance in their masculine feminine polarity within themselves, that is kind of being impressed upon by those visuals or those ideals. What is some advice that you can give them for how to like anchor back into how they should be showing up in that kind of balance in their role as a father, instead of letting these fears of like this and this and this is going to happen. Okay. Sandwich together breath and vulnerability in that moment with whatever they're feeling. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about vulnerability and wellness for us. And I know you explore this in your work, too. It's like I, I really want to define for myself what, what I think vulnerability is. Vulnerability is my openness to share how I'm truthfully experiencing something without the other person giving me a specific result. Yes, so thank you thank you for saying that because I think in a lot of the conscious community that's not what people think vulnerability is. Yeah. Vulnerability is like sharing this for sharing sake. Right. When really I mean to me vulnerability is that like minute to minute raw nitty-gritty honesty yeah. where you're like I don't want to have to say this shit right now but this is really what's happening in there. Help yeah. talk me out like walk me out of this dark place. And you always know when to come from when somebody's sharing that they want to be what I call strategically vulnerable. Maybe you oh, yeah. chatted about this before. I don't know. I think it, feel, it feels but like we it did, feels but like yes. We have. Mm-hmm. So I just want to share it for everyone with us. If I tell you, you know, busy, I'm about to be vulnerable. <laughs> it's like, just fucking be vulnerable. You know, you don't That's have already, to, it's already not you, vulnerable. <laughs> you don't have to. It's exactly because <laughs> by me telling you I'm about to be vulnerable, 
I'm subconsciously cueing you to soften so that I can receive what I want, which is your kindness, your compassion, your, your emotions towards it's me. It's like putting up a disclaimer, like, all right, okay. everybody, I'm going to need you to, to soften up and be prepared because I'm about to get real here. No, just or be real. It's like saying, I'm only going to receive guidance if it's soft. <laughs> I'm only going to receive guidance if it's soft. And I'm like, man, it would be nice, but that's not the world we live in because um, what I would tell that person, back to your question, who's maybe struggling with the identity of how to blend masculine, feminine, or how to embody, embody fatherhood, I think the most powerful fathers in the world are the ones that can do their breath, have the set point, pause, feel whatever's coming up for them. And I say coming up because most of the emotions that cause us anger or pain are upward emotions. And then, of course, you know, anxiety and depression are like, or, I'm sorry, depression. Depression is like a downward emotion. Depression mm-hmm. is the opposite of expression, expression being up and out. What happens is we have to be able to share what's either coming up or coming down for us as, as fathers, and we have to have the courage to do so. So on one side is vulnerability. And again, without having the other person have to respond in a specific way. And then in the, and on the other side of that is like sharing the truth of what you're feeling. And in the middle of it, you know what the middle of it is? The middle of it is fucking courage. Because oh, you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen when you share like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really sad about what happened. I'm really fucking sad about what happened on Tuesday. And it hurts and I'm still hurting. And, uh, you know, this is my experience. Can I share my experience? I mean, that is like, that's really hard, you know, so in this, but, but here's the analogy that really makes sense to your question to kind of like put the end point on it. I like how in the past you've said like period end stop, or I think you've said stuff like that. Probably period full stop. Period full stop. Here's the period full stop. The period full stop is if my child is crying, I'm not going to go use my intellect and be like, why are you crying? What's going on? I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to attune myself. I'm going to be vulnerable in that moment to drop what I'm doing, be with him, let him know daddy's here, let him know like I I got him and hold him for as long as I need to. Why aren't we doing that with ourselves? Why aren't we doing that with our partners? It's because we're still overcoming these triggers of wanting to be right, wanting to not get hurt, wanting the other person to be something that maybe in that moment they can't be. It doesn't mean they can't ever be that, but definitely in that moment they can't be it for you. And so that's the most powerful fucking father in the world is the one that can hold all of that awareness and operate from that place. That's a beautiful thing. I just got kind of a flash, just so many things that you shared about being able to kind of lean into some of the more like feminine nurturing, go with the flow sort of yin energy. And this morning we all, well, I should go back. So last night we all had, you know, the kids' backpacks were on the floor. My backpack was on the floor and then Harley's diaper bag was on the floor. And Gordon's been going through this phase where he basically like will not share Harley. Like he wants to drop her off. He wants to pick her up. And he keeps playing this thing like, well, the car seat's already in my car. I'm like, you have to share our daughter. You can't keep doing everything with the baby because he's just such a good dad. He's so into it. He's so invested. It just, it's so magical to watch, but he like won't share the baby. So (laughs) last night, all the backpacks are down and you'll see Harley is seven and a half months. 
a backpack on the floor basically would be like, you know, sending her to like a rock climbing gym without a belay where you're like, all right, you're probably going to die. So I'm there trying to, you know, <laughs> Gordon's like, all these backpacks should be hung up. But then the diaper bag sitting there and I was tempted to be like, and don't you think your diaper bag should be hung up on the, on the wall? And then I was like, no, that's a masculine. I don't want to say that's funny, but it's not funny. And then this morning we were talking about it and I was like, you know, the diaper bag was also on the floor and he was like, yeah, my diaper bag. She's my baby. And I was like, yep, your diaper bag. So it's funny how sometimes it's like, because we're in this space and time where I think, and it's kind of in tandem with my next question, which is kind of taking a, a segue into toxic masculinity. There's all of these kind of social constructs of like what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman and you know, modern feminism, toxic masculinity. And I find myself like, even in those moments, I was like, that was a funny joke, but I was like, I don't want to, it's funny, but not funny. And I didn't want to push his buttons and potentially have him mad at me. And then this morning he was thinking the same joke in his head because he's really claiming it, which is what, that's like what I loved the most is that this morning he was like, I'm like, I love being a daddy. That is my diaper bag. (laughs) Like, okay, here, you take the diaper bag, you know? So it just, we're kind of all in this, um, I would say like hyper observational state where, because instead of just naturally doing and saying things, we're kind of now thinking about what other people are saying is, is, is right or wrong or socially acceptable or politically correct. So kind of in all of that, I know it's kind of a lot going on there. What do you think is actually for real, for real toxic masculinity? And what is the is it a mislabeling or is it truly a wound that has to be healed? Well, are you talking about the old masculine or the new masculine? So I'm talking about the, let's say the, the social descriptor toxic masculinity. Cause I mean, I think okay. you could take that however you want, like what, yeah. what the masses are trying to point to and say is toxic masculinity. Do you think it's a mislabeling or does it actually exist as a wound? <sighs> Hey, you better take a deep breath on that one. I think it's a, a gross mislabeling. And I think that the term was really just created to be a divisive tool um, of separation and control. Because that, what I believe is there's an old and a new masculine. And I, and I think the new masculine is embodied, not toxic. I think it's really about embodiment. Now, embodiment involves work it involves introspection and it, it involves it involves inventory like there's work involved so you'll know if if you're with an old masculine energy if there's not a willingness to look within if there's like a refusal to see another person's point of view i don't think there's toxic masculinity what i think is there's toxic ways of being mm-hmm. there's toxic anything there's toxic femininity, masculinity, transgenderity, whatever you want to say, like, however we identify in the world, however you choose to identify in the world, there is a toxic way of being for sure. But I think what's going on is, is what we're really talking about here is the war of the sexes. And the war of the sexes, in my opinion, is fucking over. It's been over for a long time. The only reason it exists is because everybody keeps talking about it. It's what creates clicks. It's what creates traffic. It's what creates, um, that allure that we were talking about, that hook of like, yeah, because what it allows, (laughs) what it allows, and I'm laughing because I've fallen into this trap too. It took me a long time 
it took me a long time to stop being angry at the feminine. It took me a long time because I got, I got beat up as a lot of men do. And looking back, it was my choice because I had to go through that to understand what it feels like when I'm victimizing myself and I'm not in control of my own experience. And so I don't believe that, that the new masculine, and by new masculine I mean embodied, is toxic. I think that there's just toxic people in the world. I think it's a gross, just egregious mislabeling. But it's labeled that way because it's what makes people feel angry and upset. And it also drives the conversation to inferiority. Because that means that men on some kind of subtle level are inferior. They're toxic. Men are toxic. And it's like, well, there's toxic people. You know, but I don't, I don't think, just like when, when men might describe a woman, like a wounded man might describe a woman as like a C-U-N-T, right? He'd be like, oh, that's C-U-N-T. Like that, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Just like on the, the, the man side, there might not be filling whatever expletive you want for him too. That exists too. Mm-hmm. But just as a general rule, I don't think that men are toxic. I think that there's an old way of being that has been dying for a long time. And I think that old way of being is about not listening, not receiving, not being present. Um, that is a toxic way of being that, that can be learned from any gender at all. 100%. And I think if we look at the influence of society, media priming, I mean, I think at the same time that everyone's like, this is messed up and this, you know, we need to break away from toxic masculinity the same machine that's publicizing all of these conversations is also still trying to get men to fall into these traps. Um, Obviously I do a whole bunch of of speaking on, on those subjects. And one of our next upcoming episodes is going to be called the new deviance. Cause I think that to your point with the new man, what is about to be deviant is, is shocking. And I'm going to dig into it quite a bit because when you say deviant what do you mean like so from the sociological perspective of deviance meaning here's what's currently socially accepted and these are the people that are willing to veer off of the socially accepted norm and start to create a new path I think where we're heading is that the new deviance is honestly a a, I don't want to give away too much from the episode but I think in a lot of ways, it is a return to certain things that might be looked at as traditional or square, but not out of fear's sake and not out of like compliance to God or the Bible or something like that, because that's actually what is truly best for humanity. So that's where I'm yes. going on the next episode. It's Damn. a real powerful one. All right. Um, but can, on I, can that, I say something? Can I say yeah, something? Yeah, please do. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was feeling was we're all familiar with like the Harry styles and like the men wearing dresses and all that stuff. And look, if that truly makes someone happy and it's, and it's how they want to express themselves. Great. I have zero judgment towards that. It's all good. But to say that that needs to be what more men should be like is actually the toxic poison that we're drinking as a society to shame people that are moving in the direction of embodiment. That's how I feel about that shit. A million percent. And so that's, thank you, because that's a perfect example of what what we're talking about here, which is to me, this new, like as you're kind of terming it, the new masculine, they, you know, they're very much embodying both their masculine and feminine polarity. Meanwhile, society is trying to create this, this other version where... Yeah. 
if you don't want to do that, there's something wrong with you or shame you are, on you. Yeah. Shame on you, which mm-hmm. again, and this is one of the key points of the episode that's going to drop the new deviance is we've kind of, in my opinion, we had this opportunity to actually do right by humanity and embrace all people, no matter how they express themselves. And we collectively missed that opportunity and then instead twisted it into a wide scale social priming event that is unlike anything I've ever seen before Mm, in my life. Wow. So I'm going, I'm going all the way in on Mm. that episode. It's going to be awesome. But with that, this kind of new masculine that you're talking about to me, it's, I see them popping up. I see it, you know, I see it in my husband. I see it in you. I know that there are pockets of men that are able to, you know, in a way, put on social blinders and like keep doing the work. Because I don't think society makes it easy right now for a man to fully embody this kind of new masculine that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. What are some ways in your, because like I know how my husband did it to all the men out there or to the people who are going to share this with their husband or their significant others. How can we teach men to anchor into this instead of being so hijacked by everything that's going on around them? Well, I, I keep doing it and I keep saying it because it's so obvious to me. And I believe that everything has to start with awareness. But if I'm not breathing, I'm not aware. And I know that might seem to the logical mind like, oh, that's too simple. But it's actually not. So that's the first place that every human being should start. And your question was specifically to men or just people? I think specifically for, for men, for men that, okay. that know they need to anchor this in, but don't know where to find it, don't know how to, they don't necessarily have any like mentors or things that they can tangibly see and experience to know how to walk that path. All right. Well, f- come listen to the Wellness Force podcast because we explore this all the time. Um, a really beautiful speaker on this is Connor Beaton from Man Talks. I don't know if y'all have connected, but that'd be a wonderful connection for you. And um, there's, an, there's some really, really great uh, intelligence that's in our pain. And as men, we have to ha- be supported in um, incubators or, or I, hate, I hate the word container. <laughs> People are like, oh, I want to create a container. For some reason, I'm like, I don't like that word. Yeah, container, but mastermind, all container. those Container. Anyways, there, there needs to be a, a, a structured yet flowing space for men to share with and have rational dialogue with one another around what you're describing. Because what we need are men who are skilled to give each other constructive, this is the key, constructive feedback. I've been in so many men's groups where it's just like a sharing circle and there's Oof. no like, there's no. no time structure. Like how I ran men's groups in Encinitas and, and, and I was trained to run men's groups from Johnny Blackburn was you come into the space, there's a somatic practice, there's breathing, there's meditation, there's physicality, then there's a drop-in for sharing, then there's a structured share, and then there's two questions. And this is for all men, two questions. Once a man has done the, the work to, to prime himself to be there and then also to receive the feedback and, and authentically share, the other men in the group only ever ask him two things. And this is really, really, really important. The first thing is, what came up for me or what resonated me with me was blank. That's it. You just share your experience with him and that's it. You don't coach him. You don't preach to him. You don't teach to him. The other second question is a question. You say, hey, hey, Josh, laser question for you. What would it be like to see blah, blah, blah? Or what would it, um, do you feel in your heart that why this is happening is because of blank and you just shut up? So it's either impact 
or question. Impact for me was this, or, or laser question for you is this. That's the type of really structured dialogue that needs to happen in a men's group so that men can actually do the work to heal themselves. But unfortunately, what happens is, whether it's on social media or in these unstructured men's groups, is there's no structure, people are vomiting all over each other, and men leave less fulfilled than when they arrived. So that's, that's the key, is those two questions in a space where there can be real feedback given. And if anyone needs kind of a, another analogy to make that make sense, as a designer, if a client comes to you and they're like, oh, well, just, you know, whatever, like, just whatever you want, just give me some designs. That is much harder to actually provide something of value than if someone says, here's, okay. the, here's the parameters, be creative within these parameters. Mm. It's so much easier to generate something really meaningful when there's a, a structure, a cocoon around it than somebody just being like, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So I think to your point, and actually the masculine brain is much more hardwired there anyways. They really yeah. do need that structure. Yeah. And without it, it's just, like you said, I can already think of like five different men's groups that I can think of where I just, I know people go there and some come out with great experiences and then other come out with experiences that I think honestly do more damage. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, my husband is about to launch in September, something called the man up challenge. That is a 30 day, like very, like you to, to your point, structured bite size, like day by day, this is like 20 minutes of something that you can do to actually start to course correct. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I think for your, if you um, want to share with me after the episode, like any good recommendations or just um, people that you would want to, you know, recommend or point people to, I feel like there's a huge need here for guys that are looking for somebody that is like actually, and I, I say worthy is whatever, it's very subjective, yeah. but, but really embodying this in their own life. And I think that's kind of hard to judge from the outside because everyone can kind of market themselves a different way. So if you want to give us kind of like, a top sure. five list of who you'd recommend. Obviously you're on I that will. as well. I think yeah, that'd I totally be helpful. Will. I totally will. So switching gears real quick, obviously your son had birth complications. And I know you mentioned to me that in that process, your breath was a huge saving grace. Yeah. What happened and how did you use your breath to bring you back to that set point? So, um, planned for home. It didn't work out that way. And then unexpectedly NICU. And for those of you that don't know what happens in the NICU, it's very stressful. You know, you're, you're rushing around and, and you're, um, very, very underslept, you know, so stack critical thinking in a situation where you have to communicate with physicians about what's going on with your son and also do when you're sleep deprived, really, really fucking challenging. And so there would be moments where I would lay on the ground and I would place something on my stomach, like a pillow or even both my hands, and I would just do what I call conscious connected breath and I would just roll like a circle and I would just breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth on my back and I would just try to push my hands to the ceiling as much as I could. There's a stretch response. So there's a couple things that happen. There's a stretch response in the diaphragm so that when we're actually filling and we're, we're opening our lungs and we're getting air in, the vagus nerve is pushed on by the diaphragm because the diaphragm is 360. You know, the diaphragm starts at the sternum and goes all the way back. 
So it goes around our entire body. And so the innervation of, of the vagus nerve that starts at the back of the cranium goes down the spine, and it almost looks like if you look at the physiology, it's like a huge tree, tree roots. And then it, it, it dovetails into the enteric nervous system, which is our second brain. That's where we feel a lot of things. So that's what I was doing. You know, I was doing that as much as humanly possible. And when I couldn't do that, honestly, I would just do six of these. <sighs> six of those in a row. Because, and I would close my eyes because I want to, like, rest for a moment. Um, yeah, if I didn't have that, like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And then also we had a beautiful physician that we were able to, to have concierge connection with, you know, to navigate the complex, the medical complex. So that was that was beautiful. And, I mean, out of respect for my partner, I'm not able to share this the specific events. Oh, yeah, that's totally but, um But that's essentially how it went down. And, and the breath was literally my anchor because – Without that, I would have just been even more of a of a bundle of nerves that are conditioned to like bark and react. And, you know, we had our challenges and and I think that anybody would have challenges in that situation. But what I knew and what I know is that when I the only lever that I can pull for my nervous system, the only one, it's the only one that I have conscious control over is respiration. It's both autonomic and it's both something manually that can be that can be applied. Love so I, I knew that and I was like, all right, this is what I attracted in. Like here I am, you know, having to use my own tool that I've helped other people with. And it was interesting, about three weeks prior, I had a client come over to the house and we did like a four hour VIP. And we did cold and heat and and I taught him how to breathe properly and he wasn't breathing through his diaphragm. And I was like, man. So many people don't breathe through their belly. They just don't know what it is. So many people have reverse breathing patterns. Oh, yeah. Where when they inhale, they'll actually, their belly will go in. So that they'll be like, but instead of their belly going out, their belly will go in. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and the very last thing I'll say is this. Like, I love my son so much. And I, I, love, uh, I love to see life come into the world. And I was taught by Dan Brule this one very, very important fact. And we can all take this home. If you cover a baby's nose at birth, the baby will start to choke. Why is that? The baby chokes because we are naturally relaxed in the jaw, mouth softly closed, breathing through our nose. That's how we are designed by intelligence to breathe. What We're not we designed learn, to be mouth breathers. <laughs> we are not designed to be mouth breathers. Mm -hmm. But we learn, like when you're talking, you'll notice I'm like really just, I'm, my mouth is closed and I'm just breathing through my nose when I listen to you. If I'm angry or if I'm upset, you might see my mouth open or you might see my jaw like tense, you know? So, so the breath is like this huge barometer for us, me personally in times of stress where I can either use it or it can use me. So true. That just brought up for me when I, my son is the only one that I had in the hospital and my doctor was from Israel and he only called me Bubble And... <laughs> Huh. I was uh, literally like pushing stuff out and I'm a yogi. So I had my yogi breathing going. I was feeling good. I was feeling great. And he like pops up and he's like, can we cut this yogi breathing bullshit? I need you to breathe the way I'm telling you to breathe. And I was like, oh God. And then the baby was already out. But it was just like, it's just so oh funny where it's like, I'm doing what I need to actually stay like calm and relaxed and, you know, I knew yeah. how to birth a baby. Yeah. And he's up in my face, like, cut the yogi breathing bullshit. Like, I need you to do what I'm asking you because he wanted the baby out. And it's like, 
it's just a good visualization of sometimes what we're faced with where it's like your body can sometimes know intuitively what to do and how to keep yourself in that centered place where I was like so present so focused and then all of a sudden you've got a doctor in your face it's like bubbly bubbly quit this yogi breathing bullshit I've so we we need to do another show because there's just we can we can do a million more shows I've got five rapid fire questions actually nay six rapid fire questions for you number one who wakes up with baby at night Wakes up baby at night. Uh, Carrie does, my partner. And is that because she's opted in to just do the whole thing? Um, yes. And also because like when I, like today, for example, I had an in-person interview. I had this conversation. I have a client call after this. So like, like when I have a full day, I need to sleep by myself. You know, of course I miss them, but I have to do that to, to care for me. Now, if like we have my family coming, and I'll totally, we'll sleep together. I'll change the diaper, whatever's needed. I think it's about, it's about adjusting to what's, what's happening and what's most important for the shared vision than like having a, a rigidity around, well, like every night I'm going to sleep this way, you know? So I bring this up because I find so many people that go into first time parenthood, especially lately with just everything that's happening. A lot of women go into this like, what should be 50, 50? Like you should do this and I should do this. Where it's like, you go into this with this plan or like what's fair. And what I've found at least in my relationship is that Gordon really needs sleep. And I really don't like, I could wake up in the middle of the night five times. I wake up happy. I'm never mad. I don't ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed. If he has to wake up at all, he's a nightmare the whole rest of the day. So for me, it was like that. We just agreed where it was like, Hey, let's lean into our strengths here. And let's really be honest about who we are as people. I could be up for the next nine months, every like five times a night and be totally fine. He can't. So we decided that I just do night times and he doesn't, but he's awesome during the day. So to anyone that's out there, that's like, everything has to be equal 50, 50. That's not really that's not knowing your partner, knowing yourself and leaning into your strengths. So I, I get the intention of where that comes from, but mm-hmm. and maybe you'll cover this in your future episode. I think it comes from like the fifth or even sixth wave feministic movement where it's totally. like men need to step. It's, it's just step the wrong up. kind of energy. It's the it's, wrong kind of energy. It is. And then if you lean into your strengths there, which is that I don't really need sleep, he's able to be so much more present there in his daddy energy all the rest of the day. So I let, I'm glad that that was your answer because- I find that too many people are like, well, that's not fair. It's like somehow unjust when it's like, it works great for us. And, you know, maybe in your relationship, you're the reverse. Maybe the wife really needs sleep and, and the daddy nope, doesn't. it's me. I need the sleep. You know, yeah. I find often it's men, but neither here nor there. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. If you're feeling stressed out or upset, what's your go-to song? One song and one song only. Song? Oh, God. That's really hard. It would probably be something without words, like a beat music or like a taiko track. Like like something where it's like, where I don't have to think about what the artist is trying to tell me. I like music without words because I can make up my own words. Got it. I feel that. Number three, what moment of your life stands out as the hardest battle that you've ever had to overcome or the toughest adversary that you've ever had to face? Pornography. Yes. That's also in my new Deviance episode. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think 
so many men come from the standpoint of like everybody does it no that is a worthy adversary nah, to to it overcome took- it has to happen it's got to change if we want to keep building up this mass new masculine i've done multiple episodes on this and i also had um forget his name his name was greg i forgot his last name specialist in porn and uh also rachel fiore who's wonderful you two should definitely connect um and i think that i think that pornography is one of the most um slippery and sinister tools of of sedation that can happen to specifically men but also women and so that really needs to be held in the public spotlight, like the atrocities and just the dark demonic energy that are taking place in that industry is, it makes me want to throw up, but yet I was pulled to it for so long. So that's another podcast and I did let's, heal it and I healed it by a, doing can it a we different do, way. Can we do another podcast on yeah, that? Yeah, we totally can. We can do a whole, whole one on that. Okay. For sure. Th- this one's going to be tough, but I think your brain can handle it. Describe 2020 using only three adjectives. What? <laughs> or or um was that it what i think fuck? that was it i, I think that was okay it. what the fuck okay if you could learn from anyone in history i would imagine that they'd probably be dead because i don't think we've got a whole lot to go around right now yeah. who would it be alan watts Ooh, good one what is your intention for 2021 what is josh trent going after I'm going after a true embodiment of balance to the best of my ability in uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, financial, um, because not only do they all blend together, but it's, it, I think it's really fun and also really challenging to make sure that in all of those areas, I'm full. Because the, the, the chi or the life energy that I need that is required to fill up all of those categories, I'm either blocking from, from getting myself or I'm choosing to waste it on shit that's out of my control. So it might look like $60,000 a month and um, reaching 3 million people uh, through the podcast and traveling – uh, to, to like two really amazing places with Carrie and my son. But really what it boils down to is those are all aspirations and desires. What makes me feel the most satiated is feeling, feeling whole and healthy within me, feeling well. That's, that's my 2021 is, is me feeling well. And, and whatever I need to do to, to feel that way is what I will create. And one of the things that I know you've created that certainly helps support that experience of wellness. And if you guys haven't gotten a chance to go on wellnesscourse.com, he did an amazing, you know, what a, a montage, a compilation of how each of his top guests described wellness. And I think yes. that's totally worth seeing. But one of the things that Josh has brought into the world is his um, breathwork.io. The program's called Breathe, right? Yes. Breathe, Breath, and Wellness. Breathe, breath, and wellness. And it's a wellness program. I want you guys to go check out the website. I'll make sure to post it below the podcast. And I think you've got an offer for all of our listeners for the program as well. Yes. And I apologize. It's whatever you want. (laughs) I knew we were going to talk about this. And whatever code you guys want, maybe it's busy, maybe it's break, put that in. So yeah, let's let's do code busy. Just code busy. Code busy. So B-I-Z-Z-I-E. Go to mm-hmm. breathwork.io, enter the code busy. You get 20% off the program. 
So it's already super affordable anyways. And I built it because it's a three week experience. And I, I learned from all these masters and traveled and I spent a month in Thailand and I learned from Mark Divine and I learned from all these amazing human beings how to actually pull out the nuggets of wisdom that apply to us, the real people, that don't want to go wear a white cape and float on a mountain. A lot of the breathwork programs out there are designed for people that are like woo-woo, esoteric in the clouds. This is like coming back home to yourself. We'll talk about the three phases of breathing, the acute, the meditative, and the cathartic. And by the end of it, you'll have a really clear understanding of how to use your breath in those moments where it matters the most. So it's breathwork.io. The code is busy and you get 20% off. Sweet. And for all of you that are out there that are dealing with chronic stress, chronic fatigue, worry, self-doubt, anything, breath is going to always help be create that, as you say, that set point, that pause, that moment for you to really start to work through what do you actually want and, and how are you currently leading your life down a path that's not going to get you there. So um, I really do hope that you'll go check out Josh's breathwork.io website. He's an amazing guy. I totally co-sign him as a teacher. Um, I can't wait to go check it out. So please head to breathwork.io. Josh, I love having you on the show. I, I already have about five different show ideas that yeah, I want to do with it. you, but let's do the next one on porn addiction and mm -hmm. the divine masculine. So let's Great. set that one for not too far off in the future. Um, loved having you on. Thank you for sharing all of your experience and all of your journey with our listeners. And I will see you next time. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.